Thank you for joining us here at Life Church. It's an honor to share God's word with you today. Our prayer is that you will connect with Jesus Christ as you hear his word online. We would love to have you visit one of our upcoming gatherings. For more information, visit our website at www.lifechurchofrichmond.org or contact our church offices and we'll be happy to help you in any way that we can. Let's go now to one of our recent services where you can experience a life-giving message from God's Word. Pentecost, and so he said in verse 16, in describing the experience of Cornelius, he said, it happened to them just as it happened to us. It at the beginning. And in verse 17, he said, God gave them the same gift that he gave to us. So I want to preach on this subject from verse 16, just like the beginning. Just like the beginning. Could you pray with me? Let's ask the Lord to speak to us today. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, we ask you, you can join me if you'd like, amen? In the mighty name of Jesus, we'd like you to speak to us today. We want you to encourage us today. Let the Word of God be alive. Let it be quick. Let it be powerful. Let conviction fall in this house. And more importantly, Lord, we want the Holy Ghost to fill this place. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Here we find in Acts chapter 11, Peter validating the experience of Acts chapter 10 and the household of Cornelius by looking back to the experience of that they had had on the day of Pentecost, what he referred to as the beginning. And the reason that he referred to this as the beginning is because that day in the experience of Acts chapter 2 is considered the birth or the beginning of the New Testament church. Now, this isn't just a Pentecostal belief, but this is widely held by everyone in Christianity that Acts chapter 2 was the birthday of the New Testament church. And so Peter had to explain to them that his crossing lines and preaching to the Gentiles and eating with the Gentiles and staying with the Gentiles was justified. Even in the eyes of the skeptics when he stated that what happened to them, Cornelius, is what happened to us at the beginning when God gave them, Peter's words, the same gift as he gave to us. So, If the experience of the beginning was so important, as a matter of fact, Peter referencing the experience at the beginning and connecting it to Cornelius allowed the Jews to accept his explanation. If that is so important, I think it's critical that we remember and ask, what actually happened at the beginning? What actually happened? Peter got off the hook because he referenced what happened at the beginning. Peter said that what happened in Acts chapter 10 is the same thing that happened at the beginning. So why is it important for us to recognize the significance of the beginning? What was it that happened on the day of Pentecost that justified all of this that took place? Well, let's go back there, if you will, with me. Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. And I've got a lot of Bible today. And imagine preaching that doesn't have Bible in it. That's not preaching. Amen? Acts chapter 2, verse 1. says, And when the day of Pentecost, I'm reading from the King James now, was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them, 
And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, the day of Pentecost, as recorded in Acts chapter 2, was one of the most phenomenal and important dates in church history. There's several reasons for this. First of all, I've already stated it was recognized as the birthday of the New Testament church. It was also the coming of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, not just uh, personally to individual believers, but also corporately to the body of Christ as a whole. It was the power and the presence of God coming upon believers and gifting them and equipping them for the work of the kingdom. Now, the disciples had been preparing themselves for this moment, and throughout the Scripture, it had been prophesied that this day was coming. Pentecost was no ordinary day. Amen? And there's a lot of amazing details about Pentecost and the Feast of Pentecost that I'm not going to go into today for sake of time. But there's a lot of prophecies that pointed to this day, and it was a huge part of the plan of God for His people. For example, some prophecies in the Old Testament, four prophets of the Old Testament, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Joel, they all foretold this outpouring of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let me just give you a couple scriptural references. Jeremiah 31 verse 33 says, But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Amen. Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27 says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Amen. I will put, verse 27, my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. And then Isaiah 28, verse 11 said, for with stammering lips and another tongue, he will speak to his people. Now, Isaiah's prophecy, it really had a dual meaning. But one of the meanings that pointed toward our day was his reference to stammering lips and another tongue where he said that God was going to speak to and through his people with the coming of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now notice, when the baptism of the Holy Spirit takes place, and I'm going to talk about this in a few more moments, the the event that witnesses it and the evidence of it is speaking in other tongues. Can the church say amen? That is tongues or languages unknown to the person that is speaking it. When speaking in other tongues, the believer is not relinquishing their will to speak, but they are relinquishing what they say to the Spirit of God. Now, you might even experience just this temporary conflict with your human mind and the Spirit of God when you begin speaking with stammering lips or begin speaking in other tongues, and you allow God to speak through you. I'll elaborate on tongues because it's kind of a, a, a mystical concept in today's church. Joel chapter 2, verse 28 says, and it shall come to pass afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Joel prophesied that the Holy Spirit will be poured out on all flesh. Just as he and the other prophets in the Old Testament had promised. The Holy Spirit baptism, I want you to know, is still available 
to all who love God and want him to possess their lives. I got good news for you. You can still have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Amen. It was also prophesied in the New Testament. A few years before the actual event, the prophet John the Baptist foretold the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. And by the way, when I say Holy Ghost and Holy Spirit interchangeably, it's the same thing. Holy Ghost is just the old English word that we all got acquainted with in the King James Version of the Bible. And Spirit means the same thing. I just don't want anybody to think I'm talking about two different things. But notice what was said by Jesus in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11. He said, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. I'm sorry, John, referring to what Jesus was saying. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. Notice, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Amen. John is saying, I'm baptizing you with water to repentance, but there's one who's coming after me. I'm not even worthy to tie his sandals, to carry his sandals. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Even Jesus promised the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Jesus specifically spoke of the Spirit coming in John 7, 38 and 39. Look at verse 39. He said, But this spake he concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. That simply means the Holy Spirit had not yet come because Jesus had not been died, had not been crucified, died, and resurrected. That's what it means by him being glorified. But the Holy Spirit came after those events took place. Now, Jesus... And I know I'm teaching right now, but I want you to have a a, a strong biblical understanding of why we still believe the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for every believer today. Amen? Jesus then instructed his disciples to wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit outpouring. This was in Luke chapter 24 and in Acts chapter 1. They were not, he actually told them, don't depart from Jerusalem, but I want you to wait for the promise of the Father. That's in Acts 1 and 4. And you know what, as Christians, we've got a lot of promises from our Heavenly Father, but there's only one that is called the promise of the Father. Amen? The promise of the Father, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for everyone. It is like a check that is made out to every one of us individually waiting to be cashed. It's a promissory note waiting to be honored. All you have to do is believe the promise and obediently respond to the gospel and God will fill you with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And that is what happened in Acts chapter 2. And that's what Peter said happened again in Acts chapter 10. Notice, the Spirit fell just like the beginning. He said the same gift that was given to us in Acts chapter 2 was given to them in Acts chapter 10. The outpouring was not commandments that were written on stone like in the Old Testament, the law, but commandments that were written on our hearts. Listen to the words of Jeremiah again. It might make a little more sense to you. Jeremiah 31, 33. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. Amen. 
The law is now in our minds and it is written on our hearts. We are guided by the Spirit and not just the written law. Thank God. Amen? Because none of us can keep that written law. Romans 8.14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. See, the experience of Pentecost is what set me free from the law by replacing the stone heart, the tablets of stone on my heart, with the Spirit of God in my mind and in my heart. That is why what happened at the beginning is so significant. Now, I don't know about you, but I thank God that we are a Spirit-filled church. Amen? But I want to say something to you. We're not hung up on how you identify us. We're not. You could call us spirit-filled, charismatic, Pentecostal, apostolic, non-denominational, full gospel. I don't care what you call us. See, because I'm not defined by a denominational label. Amen? We welcome people from all denominational backgrounds or no denominational backgrounds. And if you really want to know what I think, denominations have screwed up Christianity. Amen? But that's another subject for another day. Amen? But the reason so many of us readily identify with the name Pentecostal is quite simple. Not because of a denomination, but because we experienced what they did just like the beginning. Amen. It's not complicated. Amen. We have experienced what the early church experienced on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Just like the beginning. And we preach, and we encourage others to experience, and we encourage others to pursue what the New Testament church experienced on the day of Pentecost, just like the beginning. I want to tell you here today, I don't care what church you go to, I don't care what denomination you say you grew up in, I just have one question. Do you have what they had in the beginning? That question should not offend you. That question should not hurt your feelings. It's not about denomination. It's not about grandpa's religion. It's not about your auntie's faith. It's not about your favorite preacher. Do you have what they have that they got in the beginning? Unfortunately, Right now, and I'm not here to pick on any denominations, but all across our land, there are people who are gathering in churches right now who really cannot say with assurance that what they have or what they are experiencing or what is being preached in the pulpit is what they had in the days of the apostles. Good people, hungry people. People who love God just as much as you love God. But they're in a place where the spirit is being stifled and the word is not being preached in the fullness of truth. You know what I say? God, send us a Holy Ghost revival to our land. Amen? Oh, I'm going to get in trouble for saying this. I wish God would tear every sign off of every church. I wish he would remove every denominational label. And I wish the Holy Ghost would just fall on our land and heal our land. Just like the beginning. Just like the beginning. Just like the beginning. And by the way, this is why we continue to preach 
about the baptism of the Holy Spirit because there's people out there that are telling you that the gifts and the baptism died in the days of the apostle. I want you to know the gifts did not die in the day of the apostles. Healings did not die in the day of the apostles. The baptism of the Holy Spirit did not die in the day of the apostles. The gifts of the Spirit did not die in the day of the apostles. Speaking in tongues did not die in the day of the apostles. Working of miracles did not die in the day of the apostles. Seeing people raised from the dead, seeing a blinded eye, open, seeing death. Come on, somebody. Do you want what they had in the beginning? Do you want to experience what they experienced in the beginning? Help us, Holy Ghost. So we got to ask ourselves, no matter what religious persuasion you say you are of or what your background is, do you have what they had in the book of Acts? Do you have what they had in the beginning? Have you experienced what they experienced on the birthday of the church? Joel said, this is that. I just want to ask you, is your this that? <laughs> is your this that? Because if your this ain't that, then your that needs to become that. Amen. Have you experienced the outpouring? If not, I have good news for you today. Hear me. If you have never experienced the gift of of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, amen, with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. You can have it today. You don't have to be afraid of it. You don't have to be scared of it. God can fill you full of the Holy Ghost. i got to ask, are there any Holy Ghost-filled people in this church that will testify? It's still real. It's still real. It started with the Jews. In Acts chapter 2, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit initially fell on about 120 people that were anxiously waiting for the promise of the Father. Did you know even Mary, the mother of Jesus, was in that group? Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, received the new birth and received the Holy Spirit into her life. Now imagine that, amen? Overshadowed twice. The coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost was a wonderful gift from God. It was a beautiful endowment of His divine presence within our lives. And the groups of people who received the gift of the Spirit on that day, they were noisy. They were exuberant. Amen. And it was the noise of these disciples worshiping and magnifying God in different languages, coupled with the Bible said the sound of a rushing mighty wind. And it was so loud that it attracted a group of onlookers, amen? The Bible also said there were cloven tongues like as a fire that sat upon each of them. Here's what I know. If a church will catch on fire, people will come and watch us burn, amen? And the Bible tells us that as they were worshiping, there came a certain sound described as a rushing mighty wind, and the sound filled all the house where they were sitting. And it says there appeared unto them an impartation of languages, Described like flames of fire, which went from one person to the other, like flames. And these tongues or these languages rested, the, or means hovered or sat upon each of them. And the Bible says it was as the Spirit gives them utterance. Not just gibberish, not just something that you think in your brain and you start speaking with your lips. But a Spirit-inspired utterance. Acts chapter 2 and verse 4. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. 
Now, those in the upper room were filled with the baptism of the Spirit of God. Amen. This had never happened before like this. People had felt God around them. People had been touched by His Spirit. People had been influenced by His Spirit. But they were never filled or baptized with God's Spirit in this manner. Now, how did those around them know that this was happening? Again, the sign was an obvious external one. They began to speak with other tongues. Other tongues, unknown languages that they had never known languages to others but not known to them. Languages that they personally did not understand, but sometimes others around them did. Why tongues, you might ask? Let me just address this for a moment. Why did God use the tongue of all things to give this strange evidence that one was filled with the Spirit of God? Why, why speaking in tongues? Well, you know, there's a lot of signs he could have used. All of them would have probably been strange. <laughs> Think about it. If it wasn't something unique, it wouldn't have identified a unique experience. What if he had chosen to turn us all blue the moment it happened? <laughs> well, what's happening with those people? You know, but it was speaking in tongues. Why tongues? Let me, let me just give you a little insight into what James says about the tongue. Not speaking in tongues, but just about the tongue. James chapter 3, verse 3 through 8. He says, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Notice what he says. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boast. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. And any of you who have ever said too much can say amen. <laughs> oh, I wish I could take those words back. I've done started a forest fire with this tongue, amen. Notice verse 6. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Now, either James had somebody that was running their mouth constantly in his life, or maybe James just understood. Look what verse 7 says. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. He says, we're awesome, but verse 8 no man can tame the tongue. No human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. How many of you are saved enough and can tell the truth enough to know that your greatest battle sometimes on a bad day is keeping that tongue quiet? Oh, I'm going to give you a piece of my mind. Oh, no, no, what you're really going to do is lose a little bit of your peace of mind. Amen. Oh, I'm gonna, I, I just want to keep it real. No, you don't. You just want to keep it rude. You're fixing, to, you're fixing to go off the rails, and you want to justify it by saying you're keeping it real. No, you're not. Can I just say, you don't need to keep it real. Can you just keep it Christian? Amen? Just keep it Christian. Keep it Christ-like. The tongue. And you know what's amazing about speaking in tongues? God is taking control of the one thing that we cannot control ourselves. It's as if God is saying, I'm going to tame your tongue with my spirit, and I'm going to evidence that something else is in control of you right 
now in this moment. As the Spirit gives the utterance. When God controls the tongue of man, speaking in tongues, it's an indication that God has done something inside of that man and that there is a power greater than the power of man. You want to know some other reasons for tongues? Let me just throw a few out here. Matthew 12, 34 says, From the heart the mouth speaks. What's inside comes out of our mouth. Amen? Proverbs 8, 18, 20, and 21 says, The tongue, our speech, is our chief means of expression. And then Acts 11, 15 through 17, we just read it. It tells us speaking in tongues is a very obvious, universal, external, and uniform sign. Read it. We've been talking about it for five weeks. Acts chapter 10, the Jewish believers that went with Peter, they recognized that Cornelius in them. And the scripture literally says, I believe it's Acts 10, 44, they knew they received the Holy Ghost, for they heard them speak with tongues. That's how they knew that it had taken place. Before the day of Pentecost was done, over 3,000 people had been added to that initial harvest of souls. And let me tell you what's really cool about speaking in tongues. I've told this before. I'll tell it again. I never really appreciated speaking in tongues until I went on my first missions trip. And I went to another nation that spoke a native tongue other than my own. See, because I was used to being in church where English people would start speaking in tongues and you know, it would, sometimes it would sound one way, and sometimes it would sound another way, and sometimes it would sound another way. But then when I got in Mexico, and I, I, you can recognize, even though I didn't understand all the words, you can recognize Spanish when it was being spoken. And all of a sudden, when in one service, I preached one service one night, we had an altar call, and I believe it was 180 or 200 people came forward, and they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit that night. And you know what was amazing? I watched them as their praise transitioned from Spanish into an unknown tongue. And it dawned on me, this is why he chose tongues. Because it doesn't matter what your native tongue is. It's an obvious external sign. It works in every language. It works in every culture. It evidences itself among any language group. I saw it happen in Thailand. I'll tell you an interesting story that happened with my father-in-law. My father-in-law, who's deceased now, he was a pastor in St. Petersburg, Florida. Now, my father-in-law, God bless him, he could barely speak the king's English, amen? And he was praying with a lady in the altar one service. And he didn't know her. She was a guest. She was a visitor. First time came to the altar. She was praying. He knelt down and began to pray with her. And he began to speak in tongues. And she laid there for about 30 seconds praying. All of a sudden, she jumped up and she started dancing. Then she started speaking in tongues. And after the service was over, she came up to my father-in-law and she started speaking to him, and I believe it was in Portuguese. He was like, whoa, 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 whoa. He said, I don't know what you're saying. So somebody else came over and began to interpret. And so she looked at him and she started speaking in Portuguese again. And he looked at her and he said, he told the, the person that was translating, he said, Tell her I don't understand anything that she's saying to me. She spoke back to him through the translator and said, what do you mean you don't understand? You just prayed with me in Portuguese at the altar. Now, this isn't a made-believe story. I know this guy, okay? I married his daughter. She said, you just prayed for me in Portuguese at the altar. Of course, you know, I'm sure I wasn't there. I wish I could have been there to see this. But my father-in-law was just like, well, to God be the glory. Amen? 
He spoke as the Spirit gave him utterance in a language that was unknown to him but was known to the hearers. I don't have time to go into this right now. Acts chapter 2, the believers that received the Holy Spirit on that day, they spoke in languages that were recognized by others. Read the story. And you know what they heard them doing? Praise, singing praises and speaking the wonderful works of God. Amen? Speaking in tongues is not just gibberish. It might sound like gibberish to us, but don't ever doubt the power of the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. I talked about that a little longer than I wanted to, but maybe somebody needed to hear that today. It happened in Acts chapter 8. It happened in Acts chapter 10, and it continues to happen today. Folks, I want you to know it's a gift. This gift does not come because you earn it. It doesn't come because you beg for it. It does not happen when you work yourself up into an emotional frenzy as skeptics have accused us of. It is the Spirit of God coming down on us and speaking to us and speaking through us. And did you know in all giving there is a giver and a receiver? There's got to be a desire to give and an act of giving. And there's also got to be a desire to receive and an act of receiving. All these elements are necessary, and it's also true when it refers to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Hear me, God wants to give it, but you got to want to receive it. you got to believe you can receive it. Peter's experience in the house of Cornelius taught him that the gift was not restricted to a certain class or race or religion or group of people, but it was available to anybody that wanted to receive it. It continued again. And I'll preach about this probably next summer, in Acts chapter 19, or maybe the summer after that. I don't know. It continued, though, in Acts chapter 19, the disciples of John. Paul shows up. He found a number of believers. They were followers of John the Baptist. He asked them, go back and read the story when you get home, Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 6. He asked them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? They said, we haven't even heard of the Holy Ghost. What are you talking about? Then he asked them, how were you baptized? And he told them how he was baptized. And then the Bible says he prayed for them, and they received the Holy Ghost and began to speak in tongues. Guess what? Just like the beginning. Acts 19 was just like Acts 2. Acts 10 was just like Acts 2. Acts 8 was just like Acts 2. Acts 2 was just like Acts 2. Amen. And guess what? August 20th, 1982, when Buddy Thompson was filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It was just like it was in Acts chapter 2. Amen. I want you to stand with me right now. Musicians, praise team, come. i got to skip over some of these notes. (coughs) Romans chapter 8, verse 8 and 9 says, So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. For you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Notice, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. See, without the infilling of the Holy Spirit, we're just living in the flesh. We're walking in the flesh. But when a person receives the heavenly gift, something happens in his life that transforms him. Amen? The Holy Spirit becomes dominant in our lives and leads us according to the truth and the will of God. Romans 8, 14 says this, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, those are the sons of God. So I just want to ask you, I know you love Jesus, but are you being led by His Spirit?
because it identifies you as a son of God. The outpouring, go ahead and start playing, guys. The outpouring of the Holy Ghost is a beautiful gift. It is given by Almighty God to those who will believe and receive it. Simply put, I want you to know, the Holy Ghost is the indwelling of God's Spirit in our human life. New Testament teaches that the normal Christian life, hear me, is the Spirit-filled life. Don't miss that. It's not the anomaly. The normal Christian life is supposed to be a Spirit-filled life. Amen? It's not just for Pentecostals or Charismatics. It's not just for full gospel people. It's not just for whatever the latest label is. It's for everybody. It's for all believers. One of the biggest lies that the devil has sold to believers is that this is a take it or leave it thing and that this gift died out in the days of the apostles. It did not die. You need the Holy Ghost. You need the Holy Ghost. The Lord Jesus Christ taught His disciples that their relationship with Him would be complete only after He had gone away and sent His Holy Spirit to dwell in their hearts. So let me just ask you this question. If it was not needed, why did He send the Holy Spirit back after the resurrection? If it was not needed, why did the promise of the Father fall in Acts 2 and Acts 8 and Acts 10 and Acts 19? Why did Paul say, I speak in tongues more than all of you? Why did it happen if it wasn't necessary? It's what we need. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 says, you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. I want to talk to somebody right here who loves Jesus, but you're struggling. Have you received the power since you believed? I tried to stop smoking pot and smoking cigarettes and stop drinking when I was a 15-year-old teenager. But when God filled me with the Holy Ghost, every one of those habits died immediately. 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 It doesn't always happen that way for everybody, but that's how it happened for me. I received power, and God delivered me. Amen? Many of you, if I handed you this microphone, you could stand up and testify of what the baptism of the Holy Spirit did for you. I want to ask you tonight, are you going to be today, are you content being a believer, or do you want to be a Spirit-filled, Holy Ghost-empowered believer? Amen. Pentecost is not a religion. It's not a denomination. It's an experience. I've seen all types of people get it. Old and young, rich and poor, educated, uneducated, one person. I've witnessed thousands receive it at one service. I was in Manila in the Philippines, 33,000 people in attendance. I saw over 3,000 people receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I was in Thailand, and I saw over 1,500 Buddhists receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. One service. Come on, to God be the glory. I then personally got to go down in a river called the Leech River, and the name was true to its name, amen? And I baptized 300 of them that day in the name of Jesus Christ. You know what? I just want to do it just like they did it back in the beginning. Back in the beginning. Spanish, Asian, black, white, Indian, doesn't matter. All flesh, the Bible says. So I'm going to ask you right now, is there anybody in this room? We're not going to single you out. We're not going to embarrass you. Does anybody want to receive the gift, the outpouring? 
I want you to come forward. Just come out from where you are and you come up to this altar. Prayer team, I need you to come. Come on, I know you're out there. Anybody want to receive this gift? Now hold on before we start playing. Maybe you're already spirit-filled. No, I'm sorry, you can come. Please come. Maybe you're already spirit-filled, but it's been a while. The Scripture says sometimes we got to stir up the gift that is within us. Amen? Maybe it's been a while since you've spoken in tongues. Maybe it's been a while since you felt empowered by the Spirit. I want you to come and step out. Amen? God does not want you to live a dry, stale, carnal existence in the Spirit. Amen? Come on, step out from where you are. Come on, don't be afraid. Step out from where you are. That's it. Come on down. Come on down. Amen? Come on down. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. That's it. I'm waiting. Come on down. Come on down. Thank you, saints of God. Come on down. We're getting ready to pray all over this house. Even you that are in your pews, I want you to join me. The first thing that you need to do before you can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit is you need to repent of your sin. You need to make sure you've accepted Christ into your life and you've repented of your sin. That's the first thing. That's the most important thing. Amen? And even as believers, we all need to daily repent. Now, that's another sermon for another day, but let me just tell every believer right now, you need to have an altar in your life. Amen? So in just a few moments, I'm going to invite all of us in this room to begin to repent. In just a moment, we're going to repent together. And after you repent, you need to believe that you're forgiven. And then when we stop repenting, we need to begin to just worship and praise God together. The Bible says He inhabits the praises of His people. Amen? So we're going to begin to praise God together. We're going to begin to open our mouth. We're going to begin to sing it to the Lord. Here's what I know about speaking in tongues. You need to try to be speaking. Open your mouth. Amen? Don't be afraid. Let the words flow out. Don't worry about what it sounds like. Don't worry about anybody that's around you. Don't worry about anybody staring at you because guess what? We ain't looking at you right now. It's about us and God. And you just let the Spirit of God to begin to flow from your life. Amen. Let God fill you with His presence. And if it doesn't happen the first time you prayed for it, don't get discouraged. You keep on praying. You keep on seeking it. But right now, all over this house, I want you to join with me. Let's join in a corporate prayer of repentance. All over this place, let's begin to repent and call out to God. <coughs> Father, in the name of Jesus. That's it. Just lift your voice. God, right now, I ask you to wash me. I ask you to cleanse me, oh God. Every impure thought, every wrong motive, every blatant sin, God, every moment of weakness, every angry and impure thought, God, everything, God, that's in my life that is not pleasing to you, God, I ask you to forgive me, Lord. I'm just carnal flesh, God, but I want to be pleasing to you. God, created me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Thank you, God, that your mercies are new every morning. Thank you, God, that you keep a very short list. Thank you, God, that you forgive me when I ask you to forgive me. Come on, church, all over this house. God, I love you. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for the altar. Thank you, Lord, for washing me, God. Thank you, Lord, for accepting me. 
Thank you for accepting me. God, I, forgive, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Wash me, Lord. Cleanse me. And you feel free to continue repenting as long as you like, but the rest of us, we're going to transition right now. I want you to lift your hands, and I want us to begin to worship. We need to create an atmosphere of worship and praise, just like the upper room on the day of Pentecost. Come on. Let's begin to bless the Lord. Let's begin to worship Him. Let's begin to praise Him. Come on, all over this house. All over this house. That's it. That's it. Open your mouth. Let's God fill you full of the Holy Ghost. That's it, that's it, that's it. 